Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, Stafford Baptist Church. It is good to gather with you today to to treasure and adore our King and Savior, Jesus. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Kelton. I have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors of Stafford Baptist Church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. If my count is right, we are in our 35th sermon in our Kingdom Come series through the book of Matthew If the Lord tarries, we will continue to study through it in and beyond 2022 until we get through the the whole book. Today we are in our third sermon in Matthew 13 on Jesus' parables of the kingdom. Uh, Today, Matthew 13, 44 through 52, the most valuable treasure. But before we read, would you please pray with me for our hearing and for the proclaiming of God's word. Please make this prayer your own, and if you agree with me, join with me in saying amen at the end. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our souls say, Whom do we have in heaven but you and on earth? There is nothing we desire beside you. Our flesh and our heart may fail, but you are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. So we pray, Father, that you would use your word this morning to turn the eyes of our hearts to Jesus, to look full at his wonderful face, that we would treasure him more than anything else this world could offer. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. What is the most valuable thing you own? I'm not thinking particularly about monetary value, but but personal value. Like if your house was burning down, and everybody you love, including your pets, was already safely outside, and you could run in and rescue one thing, what might it be? Or to make it a bit more extreme, can you think of, of one thing that you would be willing to sell everything you have in order to get. It's hard to think of something so valuable, isn't it? The trade, everything, for one thing, isn't worth it. Imagine how much that one thing must mean to you, to be willing to give up everything else in order to attain it. It would have to be some kind of priceless treasure. Well, if you can't think of anything... You're beginning to understand Jesus' point of the invaluable worth of the kingdom of heaven. And in our passage this morning, Jesus uses more parables to teach us of the kingdom of heaven and how valuable that kingdom is and, and calls his disciples in these parables to guide others to that treasure, to the precious treasure of his kingdom. The passage is a call for us to reorient our affections, to truly value Jesus as reigning king over all other loves. He is our treasure, the pearl of great price. And as our treasure, he is worth telling everyone about. Let's read Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And so ends this reading of God's eternal, holy, inspired word. May he plant its eternal truths on our hearts. Well, the, the big idea of our passage, a summary of it in one sentence is, is this. Guide others to the precious treasure of the kingdom. Guide others to the precious treasure of the kingdom. In a series of, of short parables here, at the end of Matthew 13, Jesus teaches that there's nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. And in light of its Value and coming judgment, we are called to, to go and teach others now that we understand. Guide others to the precious treasure of the kingdom. Since the, uh, the first two parables are, are roughly the same, we'll have three points for the four parables. First, buy the priceless treasure. Buy the priceless treasure in verses 44 through 46. Second, live in light of the end. Live in light of the end in verses 47 through 50. And finally, teach others to do the same. Teach others to do the same in verses 51 and 52. Buy the priceless treasure. Live in light of the end. Teach others to do the same. Let's get started with the, the first two short parables at the top in verses 44 through 46. And our first point, buy the priceless treasure. You'll remember so far in his parables on the kingdom, Jesus has taught the crowds to, to hear uh, the kingdom, to, to bear fruit in understanding the teaching of its king, and to, to live in expectation of the, the kingdom's unstoppable expansion. In, in the wider context in, in Matthew, there's been confusion about Jesus' identity and, and opposition to his kingdom. So, it might seem to his disciples that it's, it's not worth it. So here at the end of his teaching on the kingdom of heaven, he teaches the true value of the kingdom. In verse 44, he compares it to a buried treasure. and In verse 46, to a, a pearl of great price. The, the two parables here are nearly identical. Remember, parables generally teach one main point. Not every detail is meant to be imitated. So these parables are not about justifying or, or imitating the behavior of the man hiding the treasure. It's simply a part of the story to get us to the main point. So what do these 
parables teach? Well, in the first, verse 44, the, the man finds a treasure hidden in a field. Clearly, the, the field is not his, so we imagine he is a, a hired worker. As he works, digging or whatever it is, he, he stumbles on buried treasure. You know, when we think of buried treasure, we think of, of pirates. But, but we have to keep in mind, during Jesus' day, they didn't have credit cards or, or formal banks. So if you wanted to keep your valuables or, or money safe, you either kept it hidden in your house or, or buried it somewhere safe. And of course, sometimes what you bury is lost and forgotten. Under rabbinic law, if a worker found treasure in a field and lifted it out, it would become the possession of that field's owner. So you note, the man in our parable is careful not to take it out of the hole. No, Jesus says he covers it back up. And now with a unique knowledge of the value of that field and what it contains, he immediately goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. And this decision makes perfect sense to him. But, but imagine if you're one of this man's friends. To see your friend sell every worldly good that they have in order to buy a patch of dirt. Might seem crazy. But the workman knows what he gives up is nothing compared to what he gains. Though it is hidden. The second parable, verses 45 through 46, compares the kingdom to a merchant, a pearl salesman. He's not a diver finding pearls in oysters. He's, he's scouring the markets. And it says in verse 46 that he finds a pearl of, of great value. So he too goes home, sells everything he owns, and buys that one pearl. We shouldn't worry about how this man is going to provide for himself and his family. Now, the point is the incomparable value of this one pearl. Its value eclipses all others. So valuable that he went and bought it. He is willing, in fact, to give up everything he has in order to have this one pearl. If only just to stare at its beauty. This second parable has one major difference from the first. I, I wonder if you noticed as we read. What, what is different between the first and second parable? Well, the workman wasn't looking for the treasure. But the pearl merchant was. The point, quickly, I, I think, is that the kingdom is found not only by those looking for it, but by those who aren't. By those who are expecting it and by those who are not. Again, this parable highlights the hidden nature of his kingdom, coming in ways that cannot be observed. It has to be sought out, like leaven in dough, like, like an inconspicuous mustard seed growing into a tree. I wonder if you noticed in the first parable, the word that Jesus uses to describe the, the workman's motivation as he goes to sell everything he has. He went and sold it with joy. Christians are joyful people. Those in the kingdom have joy, not because of their circumstances. In fact, even in the midst of what looks like loss, losing everything. And the question for us, Christian, 
Have you understood these things? Jesus doesn't give us an interpretation of these two. We have, to, we have to think of it for ourselves. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, the, the reign of Jesus Christ as king, our submission to him in, in repentance and faith, the new society he creates under his rule. He's saying that is more valuable than anything else in all of the earth. The, the point of these two parables is that it is so valuable that it is worth losing everything else in order to gain it. It would be a small price to pay in order to enter his kingdom. And you know, Jesus asks some of his disciples, some who would follow him to do exactly that, to, to lose everything in order to gain his kingdom. You might think of the young man who asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Matthew nineteen twenty one. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Well, he might not ask us all to do that, but certainly Jesus calls us all to give up our very selves to come and follow him. It's as he says in, in Luke 14, 33. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. To follow Jesus as king requires us to deny everything that we have. Jesus uses the metaphor of crucifixion to describe discipleship. The cost of following Jesus is everything we have, our lives included. So Christian, when Jesus calls you into his kingdom, he lays claim to everything you have and are. You know, in in modern marriage vows, we pledge all my worldly goods, I thee and thou. We promise in marriage to give everything we have to our spouses. Well, Jesus demands even more. Not just your worldly goods, but, but your spiritual as well. Your complete person. The cost to follow Jesus, to buy this priceless treasure, is everything. You cannot hold anything back from Jesus and claim to be his follower. He has absolute authority and claim over all those in his kingdom. So Christian, when you decided to follow Jesus, it's not just tacking some spirituality onto your life. I wonder, as you think of this, are are there things that you are holding back from the kingdom, keeping for yourselves? Areas of your life, maybe. Things you own. That you try to compartmentalize and keep back from discipleship to Jesus. A good diagnostic question. Consider some area of your life, some dream or ambition you have for the future, some possession you have, some pastime, and mentally now, give it away to Jesus. Consider that you will never have it back unless it serves 
the purposes of the king in his kingdom. Can you do that with joy? Like the man selling everything he has? With what would it be hardest for you to do that? Might that reveal to you an idol? A rival to the supremacy of the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. If you're joining us today and you're not a Christian, everyone here would persuade you to follow Jesus, but not without counting the cost. It would be unloving of us to try to hide the cost of following Jesus. But it also would be unloving for us to hide the reward. Jesus does not call his disciples to give up everything for nothing in return. No, the the reward for giving up everything is the greatest treasure in all of the world. The greatest treasure we could ever possess at the cost of everything else. The reward of having Jesus, of following him, is having and knowing the greatest good possible. God himself. What Jesus offers in the kingdom is literally the only thing in existence that is eternally and unfailingly good. Every other treasure will fail, will change, will rot, will be lost, will die. This treasure never can. You know, we, because of our sins, have been separated from good. Not only from the, the good way of life, as God has designed it to be, but from the source of all good, God himself. Our sins have separated us from God. And because God is good and he, he cannot tolerate our sin, he is opposed to us and our evil. But again, because God is good, he has provided a way for us to acquire this treasure again through Jesus Christ. Jesus died in our place for our sins and and rose again for our justification so that we can be forgiven and restored to fellowship with God. You might remember when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. In Christ, the barrier to God is removed. It is wide open. Yes, Jesus, by his death, offers us the forgiveness of sins. It's a wonderful gift. But Jesus didn't die just to rescue us from hell. The Apostle Paul explains this gospel of Christ's death and resurrection for sinners in Ephesians 2 and points out the reward that we get in verse 7. So Ephesians 2, 7, the point of our salvation is so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He describes the reward we get as immeasurable riches. It's it's treasure, but not in the the buried treasure and and pearl kind. It's in grace and kindness, he says. And that through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The gift of the kingdom is endless. He says, in the ages to come, endless ages of knowing God's grace and kindness through Jesus Christ. The author John Piper explained it this way. 
Justification is not an end in itself. Neither is the forgiveness of sins or the imputation of righteousness. Neither is escape from hell or entrance into heaven or freedom from disease or liberation from bondage or eternal life or justice or mercy or the beauties of a pain-free world. None of these facets of the gospel diamond is the chief good or highest goal of the gospel. Only one thing is seeing and savoring God himself being changed into the image of his son so that more and more we delight in and display God's infinite beauty and worth. Friends, the treasure of the gospel is to enjoy God's infinite beauty and worth. What do you think? Is the cost, everything you have and are, worth it to gain this? Do you get more than you lose in following Jesus? Yes, and infinitely more. Christians, I think meditating on these parables gives us an, an important definition of love. Our world is so confused about what love is. And we can define love based on these parables as doing whatever we can to get people to see and enjoy the greatest good in the universe. Love is, is doing good to others, right? Doing what's for their best. Well, what is the greatest good that we can do to others? Is help them to have this treasure. To see and enjoy the greatest good in the universe. God in his infinite beauty and worth. And to help others enjoy that treasure starts with you personally seeing and enjoying the greatest good in the universe. You might think of it like, like the best gift that you got for Christmas. I don't know what comes to mind for you, and you don't have to tell anyone else that might feel slighted that their gift didn't get picked. But, but think of something that you got for Christmas that you, you really enjoy. You've been making a lot of use of since Christmas. You, you want to use it, to, to wear it. I got a, a limited edition Fred Nats hat for Christmas, and I, I just want to wear it even when it's not practical. Kids want to play with their new toys and invite you to join with them. You want to, to tell others about the new treasure, to share it with them. Treasures are meant to be enjoyed and shared, to, to spend time with, not to be locked away in a chest buried in a field. Well, friends, the infinite, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and triune holy God has loved you and has rescued you from the dominion of your sin into the care of the Prince of Peace. If Jesus as king and, and your entrance in the kingdom of heaven is a treasure, enjoy it like the best gift you've ever gotten. Use it to be in communion with God, your creator and redeemer. Talk about it with others. Share it. Sing of it this morning with your whole heart. As C.S. Lewis says, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And as you sing of it, hope, 
hope for the future when you will enjoy it even more. Put the pearl of great price as the crown jewel on your forehead. You are his and he is yours forevermore. And this treasure, this delighting in Jesus is especially important in light of the end. That to give up all to have Jesus or to reject him seals an eternal fate. Let's look at Jesus' third parable and our, our second point. Live in light of the end in verses 47 through 50. The incomparable value of the kingdom of heaven is only clearer in light of the end. Here we have a, a parable of a net. He compares the kingdom of heaven to a net. It's very similar to the, the parable of the weeds that we had back in verses 24 through 30 and explained by Jesus in verses 36 through 43. This one, though, is, is more brief and has a, a more focused point. Remember, Jesus is teaching in a, a fishing village to many of his disciples as, as former fishermen. And again, he is explaining the, the kingdom in terms that they can understand. He compares it to their nets. They would fish by letting down massive nets between two boats or, or with one end tied up at shore. The, the bottom of the net would be, would be weighted and they would drag the net along in the water until it was full then, then pull it to shore to sort. Why do they need to sort it? Well, obviously nets are indiscriminate. They would catch debris. They'd catch dead fish, small fish, along with the good that they would want to keep. So when they pull the net on shore, they go about their business, sorting the good from the bad. Jesus explains the parable immediately in verse 49 for us. Again, at the end of the age, the angels will likewise sort the good from the evil. He repeats here the, the fate of the evil. Back from verse 42. In 50, he says, They will be thrown into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In just a few words, Jesus thinks it's worth repeating. As often as the Bible repeats things, so will we. I'm sure you know that, that some churches avoid talking about hell and some with good motive. But, but our job is not to edit what God says. Even when it is, is hard to hear, we will repeat what the Bible says as Christians have done since the beginning. Athanasius, a, a third century Egyptian theologian, explains it this way. He says, Do not be surprised if we frequently say the same things about the same matters. For since we are speaking of the counsel of God, therefore we expound the same sense in many ways, lest we appear to be omitting anything and incur the charge of speaking inadequately. For it is better to submit to the blame of repetition than to omit anything that should be laid down. Friends, it is better to repeat than omit. So let's repeat. Jesus teaches that the, the kingdom coming does not immediately mean the end of evil. Ever since the, the pledge of the rainbow and, and God's covenant with Noah, God has promised that he would be patient with sinners, not sending judgment. So Jesus' first coming, the inauguration of his kingdom, meant to accomplish 
redemption by his death, not to bring judgment. But Jesus points us to the end here, to to live in light of the end. Judgment will come at the end. And for all those not reconciled to God through the blood of the cross, well, he says it will mean a fate worse than a fiery furnace of everlasting sorrow. That's just metaphor. Hell is real. And it is just. And it it is terrible. Let me repeat what I've said before. Evil has an expiration date. Evil has an expiration date. One day all evil will be ended. One of the reasons that Jesus and his kingdom are such a great treasure is because one day we will only and always know grace and kindness forever. So not only, as Jesus says, will the the angels separate the evil from the righteous, but for those righteous, they will be glorified to know perfect peace without sin forever. Friends, the the treasure that Jesus offers in his kingdom is for us to enjoy both now and forever. Now in the glass darkly, but then face to face. Now in part, but then fully and perfectly. And in light of this end, Christian, our job as his disciples is to guide other people to this treasure so that they too might enjoy it now and forever. So Jesus has taught by a parable that we're to to buy this priceless treasure and, and live in light of the end. Now we are to teach others to do the same. That's the point of Jesus' final parable of the kingdom in verses 51 and 52. Our third point this morning, teach others to do the same. Teach others to do the same. You might recall from verse 36 that Jesus is in private with his disciples back at the house. So after explaining the parable of the weeds and now adding three more parables, Jesus asks them a question. Look at verse 51. Have you understood all these things? He asks his disciples in private. Remember, it was, it was understanding in the, the parable of the four soils that, that led to the seeds bearing fruit. Verse 23, it is the one who hears and understands that bears fruit. So all Jesus is teaching would be for nothing. It would bear no fruit if they don't understand. So he asks, have you understood all these things? And their reply, there at the end of verse 51, they said to him, yes. Well, how is it that they understand? Well, ultimately, because of what we studied in verse 11. To them, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Well, he asks that they understand. They affirm that they do. What what now? What are they to do with their understanding? Keep it secret? No. He concludes with a final parable, a simple simile in verse 52 to instruct them what they're to do with this understanding. First, in verse 52, he calls them scribes. Therefore, every scribe, or if you're reading the NIV, a teacher of the law, scribes are more than just those who, who copy documents. In, in his day, scribes were those who, who knew and taught God's law, the word of God. 
So by simile, he is calling his disciples teachers, teachers of the law. And in particular, he goes on to call them teachers who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. That word trained, you see there in verse 52, it's, it's just the verb of the form of the, the noun disciple, student or, or follower. So he's saying one who has become a, a student. Every student is a teacher. And as teachers with understanding of the kingdom as taught by Jesus, they, he says, are like masters of a house. God's word makes wise even the simple. And now as masters of the house, they bring out goods from their storeroom. Jesus says they bring out what is new and what is old. In context, it seems that Jesus is speaking about the teaching that they have received. Teaching that is from the Old Testament, but now fulfilled and with understanding through Jesus Christ. What is new and what is old. Their responsibility as his disciples is to guide others to the understanding that they now have. To bring it out. Having given up all to gain entrance into this treasure, the kingdom of heaven, and living in light of the end, they are to teach others to do the same. You might recall Jesus said something similar to his disciples when he was sending them out to proclaim the kingdom. In in Matthew 10, verse 27, he said to them, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. What Jesus is teaching them is not meant to be kept secret. So too what they've heard here in the privacy of this lakeside house, they are to proclaim on the housetops to all who would hear. You know, as as a pastor, as a teacher, I consider myself supported by the generosity of the members of this church so that I can be free to study God's word full time to be able to proclaim from the pulpit what Jesus teaches of his kingdom. But you might notice when you read through the qualifications of a pastor of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, it says nothing about education or degrees. All it says is that a pastor and elder must be able to teach the world, able word, to able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Seminaries and degrees are helpful, yes, but they're not required to be a pastor. What is required, though, is to be trained for the kingdom of heaven by the king himself, Jesus Christ. But it's not just teachers in the pay of the church he's talking about here. Notice Jesus is teaching that all disciples of his kingdom are called to be teachers. All scribes, every scribe. That doesn't mean that that every Christian will be supported by the church to study and teach. But every scribe trained for the kingdom is told to bring out the treasures, to teach others what they have learned from Jesus. We see this confirmed in, in other books of the Bible. The Apostle Paul can say to the Roman Christians that he's, he's never met, that they are filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Romans fifteen fourteen. Hebrews 5, 12 says something similar. The, the author writing to these, these Hebrews are, are expecting that every Christian should be able to teach. And he actually admonishes them 
that this is not true. Hebrews 5.12 says, for, by, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Christians are not meant to live on a diet of milk, just like children. They're to grow from milk to solid food. Every Christian ought to grow to be skilled in God's word and ought to be teachers, scribes, bringing out treasures. So Christian, you are on a lifelong journey to press on to know Jesus better and guide others to the same treasure. You are a guide both to those lost outside the kingdom and and those growing with you inside the kingdom. Or as Jesus put it in his final commission to these disciples, as king, he has authority, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Bring them into the kingdom, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Guide them to the treasure in the field and train them for the kingdom. Stafford Baptist, what a a motivation to share the gospel. He compares it to bringing out treasure that we get to offer those in the poverty of their sin the incomparable riches of grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. Yes, the the gospel is first bad news of of a holy God opposed to us in our evil. That all of us, as Jesus puts it, deserve to be cast into a fiery furnace, consigned to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the bad news is followed by the glorious good news of a free and abundant grace with everlasting joy, of what every soul was made for, to be welcomed into the fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So the call for us, church, is to be generous in sharing the way to this treasure, to be resolved to go and tell. And and once in the kingdom, our privilege is to to teach one another that, that all of us possess knowledge, trained for the kingdom, and all of us need one another. We are a body, members of a body, each dependent on the other, hands needing feet, eyes needing hands. As we follow Christ, the call is for each of us to help one another to heaven, to link arms, as it were, to pull one another along. So Christian, if you've been trained by Jesus for the kingdom of heaven, how can you share what you have learned with other members of this church to help them to heaven? Maybe this year consider reading a few good books of theology. To eat some solid food, not milk. You might not consider yourself a a theologian, but but good teachers are first students. So maybe think of a few topics that you can study as to help other members of the church grow. You might think of those in need, encouragement, and loss of memory. And read a book about it. Or find a good book about treasuring Christ. So you can encourage others in that. In fact, our our hope is, Lord willing, in this year we will have a library in our church just for this purpose. So we can better teach one another. 
Or maybe find another member of this church who you can get together with just to read Scripture and encourage one another in. It's as easy as picking a book of the Bible, reading a chapter together, and making comments about it. Maybe as you read, you find, find questions you can't answer. Well, then go find others trained for the kingdom and ask them to bring out the treasure for you. We in this church encourage every member to join a small group. On, on Sunday nights, we gather as members of this church to discuss the sermon, to answer questions about it, apply it in our lives, to pray for one another. We teach one another in our small groups. But, but honestly, the, the opportunities to teach one another in the kingdom are innumerable. This requires a, a paradigm shift in the way that, that you think about your role as a member of Christ's body. Every scribe, as a follower in the kingdom, is called to bring out the treasure, what is new and old. So this is your calling to Christian, to, to step to the plow, to, to get to the work of the church as little as it might seem. Have you understood all these things? Having given up all, all that you have in order to gain entrance into this kingdom because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord, enjoy Him. Treasure Him for the gift He is. And if you adore Him as treasure this morning, consider that your enjoyment is only beginning. One day Jesus will come back in judgment to usher in His kingdom forever and in light of that end brothers and sisters guide others to the precious treasure teach those outside and inside the kingdom to taste and see that the Lord is good let's pray our father in heaven we say that we have tasted that we have seen that the Lord that you are good Father, we confess with our lips and know with our heart that there is no greater treasure that this world can offer. All other treasures fail. In light of your goodness, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for redeeming us from the dominion of our sin that we might know you and have the hope of everlasting peace and joy in your fellowship forever. Father, Having seen this treasure, having learned of this treasure from Jesus, we pray that you would give us grace to guide others to the same treasure. To those outside it who don't know of this treasure and those inside who, who grow in the knowledge of this treasure, we pray you give us grace Lord, to teach others to do the same as you have taught us. It's in Christ's name that we pray this for your glory. Amen.